This is Scott Brinker, author of Hacking Marketing, Agile Practices to Make Marketing Smarter, Faster, and More Innovative. And you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. And don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Scott Brinker, and we're going to talk about his new book, Hacking Marketing. Agile Practices to Make Marketing Smarter, Faster, and More Innovative. Scott Brinker has over 20 years' experience at the intersection of marketing and software, and his Wikipedia page says he started at the age of 15, so I'm guessing he's about 35 now. He is the editor of the Chief Marketing Technologist blog, chiefmartech.com, and the program chair of the MarTech conference series. He's a frequent keynote speaker on marketing and technology topics worldwide and has written articles published by AdAge, AdWeek, Harvard Business Review, Information Week, TechCrunch, and VentureBeat. Scott is also the co-founder and chief technology officer of Ion Interactive, spelled I-O-N, a marketing software company that provides a platform for interactive content that has been adopted by many of the world's leading brands. Previously, he ran a web development agency and led a pioneering electronic bulletin board system software company. He started his career designing multiplayer online games. Scott earned degrees in computer science from Columbia University and Harvard University and an MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and... He was a musician in a former life. Scott, congratulations on hacking marketing, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. Wow, that resume is getting long. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you've done quite a bit, and I'm excited to have you here. Now, I, I should explain that I ha- also had on this show Max Altshuler, who is the author of Hacking Sales, and now I'm interviewing the author of Hacking Marketing, so I'm really covering the hacking front. <laughs> Hackers of the world unite. Yes, that's right. I hope they all, uh, I, I'm sure they'll uh, benefit from this. And I, I should mention, I learned about your book from a previous guest, Pat Spinner, co-author of The Challenger Customer. So you're already creating buzz. Well, I'm very grateful to Pat. Yeah. That's a great book, The Challenger Customer. Oh, it really is. And we'll link to that particular interview in your show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. But that book, not too dissimilar from yours, really helped to rewire a lot of my marketing brain. And for that, I'm grateful. So I wanted to thank you for something that you have created this marketing technology landscape super graphic. And I think that there might be some listeners who may not be familiar with you, but they are familiar with that. (laughs) No, famous for the wrong reasons, right? (laughs) Right. Well, no, I mean, that's how I first learned about you. And what it is, is this, this graphic that you have to click on and zoom out. And, but it's, it's got all the current as best you can categories of uh, marketing technology and all the logos. So the, the reason I wanted to thank you is because sometimes I get to make presentations, uh, up, you know, the changing nature of, of marketing. And, you know, the audience might be full of some, you know, traditional marketers and some business owners. But some folks, maybe like the folks listening to this, they're, you know, they, they're a little bit overwhelmed by all the change that's going on in marketing. 
and they're trying to make heads or tails of it. So as you can imagine, at parts of the presentation, they're looking a little uh, ashen, <laughs> a little depressed, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a, uh, so to, to, to make that even worse for them, <laughs> I put up your super graphic and I just say, look, this is what, one more thing that you're going to have to wrestle with and look at this. And the thing that I, I usually tell, I tell them who you are and so forth. And then I mention something like the, the 2014 version showed 900 and 47 companies, right? So the 2015 version so shows 43 categories and 1,876 vendors. <laughs> I, I, I think they're ready to walk out at that point. They're just saying, that, that's it, I'm out. Yeah, there's got to be an easier career than marketing, right? <laughs> right? That's true, that's true. But in the book, you talk about how, you know, this is one of the most exciting times uh, to be in marketing. It is. And I think, you know, that landscape graphic, in, in many ways, that was the, the genesis of uh, the book Hacking Marketing, uh, is recognizing just how much marketing has become entangled in software. Uh, you know, I mean, there's this, all the software on that landscape that, you know, marketers uh, consider buying, whether it's, you know, their website, uh, email, marketing automation, analytics, all that fun stuff. But then there's just all the software that runs the world today that marketers deal with, uh, you know, Google and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, when you start to realize that marketers are spending most of their days in one way or another working with all these software tools and what they do, well, I guess that was the inspiration to realize, hey, if, if marketing is becoming a software-powered discipline, can maybe marketers learn a few tricks from the software world about how to manage that. Mm -hmm. And, they, and they, they already are because I've observed software companies marketing because I buy marketing software. <laughs> and I, like I'm a, for instance, a HubSpot. I use their products and I've Excellent. followed them and really like their product. And uh, by, just by watching them market, uh, I was able to uh, really probably more deeply understand a lot of the concepts in your book. But for the listener's benefit, it's almost like there's, if you've ever been on the bank of a big river, like the Mississippi or the Something like that, and you know, it's like it's almost like there's two massive rivers <laughs> that are that are running together. And I should add that at that point where they merge, that would be Scott Brinker Point, and then they're, they're just they're just completely entangled from then on out. So let me just read two quick quotes from the beginning of the book just to set the stage here. Okay, many wonderful books have been published about the many new strategies and tactics of digital marketing. Inbound marketing, content marketing, social media marketing, and so on. But there's a common thread connecting all of them that has received far less attention that is crucial to their success. How should marketing management evolve to best leverage these modern marketing methods? And then go on to say, hacking marketing aims to expand your mental models as a marketer and a manager for leading marketing in a digital world where Everything, especially marketing, now flows with the speed and adaptability of software. We've got to get one thing out of the way, though, first, Scott, the, the title of the book, okay? <laughs> now, what is probably, in, in, in what is probably the greatest film in American cinematic history, Napoleon Dynamite, he talks about the, the things that guys have to do to you know, have girls like them. And he says, you know, skills, you know, like nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, 
computer hacking skills. And when I have you know, always thought about that. I always thought that was sort of an evil thing, you know, hacking, <laughs> hacking into something where you shouldn't be. So I think we should start by explaining that and, and how is hacking used in the context of this book versus the computer hacking skills that Napoleon Dynamite said is so <laughs> vital for getting a girlfriend. Uh, well, you know, you need those skills. Um, so hacking is one of those fascinating words that has two different meanings. Uh, certainly in, in you know, popular media, most of the time when you hear hacking, uh, it's something very negative about someone breaking into someone else's computer system. Uh, but that isn't actually where the term got started. Uh, when it got started in the 60s at MIT, it was very much about the, the art of invention. It was about all these engineers who had the ability to take little pieces of electronics and put them together into new devices. And as software started to take off, people who could sit down and write up cool little software programs. One of the stories I relate in the first chapter of the book actually is about Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. who very much considered himself a hacker in that fashion of being able – I mean, you know, picture the movie The Social Network. You know, he's up in his dorm room late at night and he's creating the first incarnation of Facebook from scratch. That's hacking. And one of the things that uh, Zuckerberg did uh, when uh, Facebook was filing to go public, uh, he wrote a little essay in the prospectus called The Hacker Way. It really drove home this idea of hacking not as something bad, but really as this fearless art of invention that he wanted to champion Facebook, not just doing in the software that they would write, but really bringing that spirit of hacker inventiveness to pretty much everything they did. And that that for me was an inspiring idea of like, wow, I mean, in a software-driven world, right, you know, hackers aren't just the folks who are creating computer software. It can also be marketers who are leveraging software to really reinvent the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think it's worked out pretty well for Mr. Zuckerberg. You know, he's doing all right. Well, he works very hard, though, so let's not, you know, let's not take that away. Can you explain... Basically, the the foundation of the book is about uh, the comparisons between how software is developed and how marketing management has been done and is starting to become and and how they are much more similar than people realize. Sure. Well, if you look at contemporary software development, right? Most of it's done on the web, uh, software as a service. Uh, So now developers, uh, they don't just release a new piece of software once a year, right? You remember the the old days when we used to get... Yeah, like they'd send it to you in the mail. (laughs) Exactly. That would happen once a year, once every two years. Well, now, I mean, most of the software you use, like Amazon, updates their website. Uh, I think uh, the stat is something like every 12 seconds, uh, you know, new code is pushed out to their environment. So it's become this very fluid environment. Uh, Software engineers have a lot more touch points with customers. Uh, A lot of the emphasis in software development has shifted to user experience, right? It's not just enough for your code to be functionally correct. It has to actually be usable, enjoyable. And you start looking at how all these software people in this digital world have this 
continuous and closer relationship with the people using their software. And now you start to compare that to what's happened in marketing where, right, I mean, we don't just do one or two big campaigns a year anymore. Oh, we used to. Yeah, those are called the good old days. Yeah, the good old days, right? Now, marketers just have literally dozens, if not hundreds of touch points that that they're digital touch points. They work just like software. In many cases, they are software, right? That mm-hmm. we're constantly updating our website. We're constantly interacting with people through social media. Uh, and that, that very fluid and malleable nature uh, is one of the reasons that uh, marketing has shifted from just being the art of communications to increasingly being the art of customer experience delivered through all of these digital touch points. And so you start to compare side by side the world of software and the world of marketing. And if you squint, they start to look pretty similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one part in the book where you say, the most significant change that has unlocked opportunities for marketing innovation is this. Marketing has expanded from the design and delivery of communications to the design and delivery of experiences. What we tell prospects and customers is still important, but how they experience touch points with our company has become even more important. As a marketer, that that line really jumped out at me. And, and you know, I, I, I struggle some time talking to companies or where the marketing is still very much the, for some companies, uh, the make it pretty department. Yeah, Mike uh, Volpe of uh, HubSpot had that great line where uh, he said people used to think of marketing as the arts and crafts department. Oh, um, right. And I heard, <laughs> once heard him say uh, he called them the arts and crafts party planners. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and, and that may not be always, you know, the case for most marketers now, but the perception lingers, I think. Yes, but I think it's changing rapidly because, uh, you know, so many of these changes that marketing is experiencing, it isn't even fair to, you know, say it's limited to marketing. Oh, no. Because, right, yeah, marketing is getting so connected to customer service, to sales, to the way in which we rethink the products and services we offer people. Marketing is becoming much more deeply embedded in business overall, which – I mean, it's wonderful for marketing, but yeah, it's one of the reasons we're going through uh, so much transformational change. That's a, a nice way to put what is, what is a terrifying time for a lot of marketers. But also, they're being pulled closer to the revenue table, and some are uh, responding, and some are just not, you know, not, not accustomed to that. So can you explain the, or talk about the, the Agile Marketing Manifesto that you mentioned in the book? Sure. So... That was one of the seeds uh, of uh, this book of thinking, okay, well, what management ideas from the world of software can we in marketing now borrow and adapt uh, given the similarities between our two worlds? Um, And so one of the best examples of that actually is a phenomenon called agile marketing, uh, which is a management methodology where marketers run a good portion of their organization in these two, three, or four-week sprints. Uh, It's a very open, collaborative, transparent process. And that was inspired actually by a movement called agile software development that happened about 15 years ago. And over the past you know, five to eight years, we've just seen more and more marketers start to borrow these ideas of agile software development and adapt them to their department for agile marketing. And is it accurate to assume that a lot of this may have really started at the marketing departments of actual software companies? 
Absolutely. I mean, that was uh, <laughs> kind of a natural place for that. Um, they were uh, in that environment DNA. already. Exactly. Like you look down the hall, you're struggling with how do I deal with all these different things that keep changing on such a rapid basis? And you look down the hall and you see your colleague in the you know software development group who's like, yeah, yeah, we had that problem and that's why we implemented Agile. And you start to scratch your beard and you're like, okay, well, if you have a beard, uh, you, know, you know, tug your earlobe and say, hmm. Maybe we could use some of that agile approach here in the marketing team. Maybe go to some of their meetings. Yep. It's, uh, <laughs> it, is, um, it is fascinating to see how this has organically spread and evolved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, one of the many things you, you talk about in the book was this notion in the software world of release early, release often. And then you apply that to what you call market early, market often. Can you explain that for the listener? Sure. So again, this is part of that really shift of mental model uh, from, again, if you take classic marketing that was really driven on a relatively small number of what we would call big bang campaigns, right? You try and just map everything out as much as you can in advance and boom, this is the plan we're executing to this environment we're in today where all these digital touch points actually make it a lot easier for marketing to experiment on a very small scale with a lot more ideas, a lot more bold, risky ideas that they can try out on a small scale. Those that don't work, hey, that's no problem. We didn't risk that much. We uh, set those aside. Uh, but the ones that do, we are then able to scale them up based on some evidence that, hey, this actually resonates with our audience. And so the way in which you get that to happen is, I mean, in the software world, uh, the way they test features is they release the features out into the world and see how the world reacts, uh, you know, release early, release often. Uh, and so in marketing, we can very much do the same thing, put these things out, you know, whether it's on our blog or on social media or with some other piece of content marketing, let's put something out and see how the world responds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then maybe do more of what's working and less of what's not working. Exactly. So, quick question. What is milkshake marketing? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so, one of my favorite authors, uh, uh, Clay Christensen, uh, who's the guy uh, probably best known for writing a book called The Innovator's Dilemma uh, about how companies tend to get disrupted uh, in very unexpected ways. And uh, one of the things that uh, Clay wrote a number of years later was this article that's become known as the Milkshake Marketing article, where he found in market research for a fast food company that they put people out in the field to ask customers who were buying milkshakes from this company, like, okay, well, do you like thick milkshakes or do you like thin milkshakes? And in their research, they started to shift of, instead of asking people whether they wanted thick or thin, they asked them like, okay, well, why are you getting a milkshake? What, what do you want? What are you doing? And people during their morning commute wanted milkshakes. Uh, yes, actually, people drink milkshakes in the morning on their commutes. Hey, we don't uh, this, this was a great idea. I'm thinking, hey, I should be doing this. Um, right? But, uh, you know, for them, it turned out they actually preferred the thicker milkshakes, you know, so they would last longer, a little bit of entertainment on the drive. Uh, then in the afternoon, they'd see a lot of parents who would bring uh, their kids in and, you know, they'd capitulate 
right? And get the children, you know, a milkshake with their Happy Meal or whatnot. Um, and in those cases, the parents really kind of preferred the thinner milkshakes because, uh, you know, they wanted the kids to hurry up and finish them so they could uh, move on. And maybe and, not have it all over the car. <laughs> that too. But, you know, the insight that uh, Clay took from this was, you know, so many ways in which consumers purchase products – they're not based on demographics. They're not even necessarily consciously based on characteristics of the product per se. They're based on this idea of what job does that consumer want to hire that product to do? And to me, this, I mean, really brilliant insight there. But I think that's, you know, there's a great takeaway for marketers there, not only in how we think about you know, our products and the positioning of our products, but how we even think about our marketing, our content marketing, our websites, you know, the, the, the touch points that we have with customers. When prospects are coming to these digital touch points, what job are they looking to have fulfilled so that we can really tailor what, we, what we're doing to serve that? Mm -hmm. Now, you talked about, we talked earlier about the, you know, marketing being very much the communication thing. And I want to go back to that for a second here. In the book, you mentioned that research has shown that interactive content is more effective than passive content at differentiating a company's marketing, educating their prospects, and converting them into leads and customers. Can you explain that and why that's a bit different from the more communication-oriented marketer? Sure. Well, I mean, one of the challenges with content marketing today is in some ways it's too much of a good thing and also in many cases too much of a bad thing too right mm -hmm. i mean we're just there's there's an explosion of content a content shock Exactly. Right. Uh, Mark nailed it perfectly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we are just beginning to experience, you know, the full brunt of what that content shock will be. Mm -hmm. So naturally, if there is a way we can break through some of that noise, that would be uh, incredibly valuable. And one of the things we've seen more and more uh, companies and publishers start to do is break through passive content noise by coming up with more useful or entertaining services, uh, the, the interactive content. So it might be things as simple as a little quiz or a little calculator. It might be something more sophisticated like an assessment or a product configurator. But it's about actually it's, – it kind of goes to uh, Clay Christensen's, you know, what job are prospects looking to hire from our marketing? Well, when we actually provide them some utility – with interactive content services, we can fulfill a very different kind of job uh, than the, oh, here's a white paper. How about you read this when you have yeah. <laughs> 15 minutes to spare? And I can understand how a lot of marketers, they're probably more familiar with how to write a blog post or produce content. And it might be they think of that before they think about designing uh, interactive experiences for their prospective customers online. Yeah, I mean, and certainly interactive content, in, in some ways it's been around for years, um, just like essentially content marketing has too. It's just the bar for creating interactive content was pretty high. Most of the time you had to really roll your own. Yes. And uh, what we're seeing now today is, you know, going back to that landscape of all those marketing technology vendors, you know, is, is there are just dozens and dozens now of MarTech vendors who provide software to let marketers very easily build uh, cool interactive content. 
I mean, disclosure, right? Uh, my company is one of those companies, but there are there are dozens uh, and more. And so I think we're starting to see more and more marketers. Uh, they have a new set of tools they can use to build these interactive content experiences. Yes, and for the benefit of the listener, it's not like Scott makes his logo bigger than. <laughs> The other <laughs> 1,875 companies. So you really have to look. Although I think I saw one presentation once where you actually pointed an arrow at it and said, that's that's me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> of course, I use that the same way I do where, like, you know, you're in the uh, planetarium and they show you the whole galaxy and they right. point to the little point and they're like, yeah, that's our planet way over there. Right, right. That feeling of insignificance sort <laughs> of uh, creates Castle Paul. Okay. One other question. I just I had to ask this. What is the law of crappy click-throughs, and what are the implications of that for modern marketers? Yeah, uh, so it's it's not crappy. It's actually a worse word than that. Um, uh, but it's a law. Uh, you, you can <laughs> but just, I think you said in your book. But this is a family book. <laughs> yeah, this will be a family podcast too. Right. So, so, so I won't reveal the particular word. Uh, right. Use your imagination. But the law but, of the crappy click-through. But if you uh, if you go track down a guy named Andrew Chen, who uh, I think he now runs supply growth at Uber, he's really one of the world's first and foremost growth hackers, and he came up with the law of blankety blanky crappity crappy clickthroughs, and essentially the law is that basically. Nothing stays the same when it comes to marketing effectiveness. That marketing, and particularly we've seen this again and again in the digital world, is this constant battle where we come up with some sort of new innovation, whether it's you know a way to break through with a particular kind of email or something we're doing with our blogging or, okay, now it's infographic time. You name it. We go through these waves where we come up with a new innovation because it's new and different. It works. It works better than what came before it. But then what happens is everybody else looks at it and says, hey, wow, that's really working. How about we do that too? Mm -hmm. The noise comes in and the efficacy starts to drop. And so once again, the marketer has to come up with some other new innovative way to break through the noise. And this goes on and on and on. And this pattern is when, you know, essentially what Andrew Chen said is every marketing tactic, eventually it's click-through rate is going to start to sag. And that takes us back to the software development where you constantly have to be innovating and testing and developing new things. And that helps people further understand, I would think, of the importance of taking this more agile approach. Exactly. Uh, the reason we're adopting agile is because, well, I mean, we need to be agile. The world just keeps changing at such an incredible rate around us. Being able to keep up with that is probably marketing's single greatest challenge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of my favorite lines from the book was when you said, complexity is probably the single greatest operational challenge of modern marketing. If you can master it, that's an incredible competitive advantage. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Wow. I mean, everybody who works in marketing today, I, I think, really viscerally feels the complexity that we're wrestling with. And I describe in the book, there's actually two kinds of complexity. One kind of complexity is what we'll call essential complexity, where the mission that we're trying to tackle today as marketers is objectively 
a more complex mission than it was 20 years ago. We, we no question. Do, we do have more touch points. These touch points have, you know, more uh, subtleties. They have more interaction effects. You know, that shift just moving from communications to experiences, a whole new set of challenges and opportunities we have to wrestle with. So part of the book describes how do you really work through which pieces of essential complexity you want to embrace and which ones you know you're consciously going to set aside um, because there is benefit to keeping marketing as simple as it can be while still making it effective the other kind of complexity is uh, accidental complexity and this is complexity where things just start to get entangled not because they have to be that way not even because we intended them that way but you know very often I don't know, take like marketing automation. If, you, if you're trying to configure you know, a relatively advanced nurturing campaign, then you maybe try it three or four different ways before you finally get it working the way you want. It's entirely possible that the way in which that got structured, it might technically work, you know, but it may not be the, the cleanest or simplest design. And, and, and there's an analogy here in the software world. I mean, this happens all the time when software developers write programs is very often the first time they write a program, you know, they get it to work, but it's not necessarily very well written. And what you see the best software developers do is invest time in going back to say, okay, now that we really understand what we want this to do, let's rewrite the code to make it cleaner and more stable and more maintainable. And I think that's actually a great opportunity for marketers as they're developing these more and more sophisticated campaigns to make sure they're putting some time into going back and making sure that the way these things are structured is going to be more maintainable for them moving forward. And I think that that you know, touches uh, on this this sense of overwhelmingness that so many marketers have. And towards the end of the book, and, and I'm going to talk about my feelings here, Scott. Um, <laughs> towards the feeling, I felt like there was a therapist, uh, Dr. Scott Brinker, sitting there saying, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you don't have to go do try every single social media platform. You don't have to try every piece of technology. In fact, you should probably not be doing most of them. <laughs> Focus on just a few. And it was like, that's that's just so hard, I think, for a lot of marketers to grasp is just focus on a few things and, and do them well. Yep. Well, again, this is this is a parallel where we can look at the software world. I mean, the number of, uh, you know, for some of your listeners who might be a, a little bit more technical in, um, you know, even dealing with like building a website, right? All the technologies in websites these days of different JavaScript libraries and, uh, you know, uh, what sort of, you know, structured uh, CSS like Bootstrap or whatnot are you using? I mean, there's there's literally, if you're a software developer today, Every single week, there are new frameworks, there are new libraries, there are new programming languages. It's just fascinating. And so what you see the software development community as a whole do is work really hard at trying to right-size that balance of, yes, on one level, we want to encourage continuous innovation, but on the other hand we actually have to ship product here at some point. So, you know, where do you put the balance in of saying, yes, there are probably three dozen different things out there we could be doing. 
here are the two or three that we're going to focus on for getting this really right. And that's so analogous to what marketers are wrestling with today. And for those English majors out there and philosophy majors, Scott did talk about Voltaire in the book, who you said was probably the world's first agile philosopher, uh, when he said the perfect is the enemy of the good, and then you bring it all the way to Mark Zuckerberg, who said done is better than perfect. Hey, that's like a great trivia question. You know, well, Voltaire and Mark Zuckerberg, how do you connect the two of them? An yeah. agile, uh, agile management methodology. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There, yeah, for uh, Alex Trebek. But but it's it's so simple to explain it, but it just seems like the most difficult thing for a software company or a uh, marketing organization to do. Oh, man. My, my heart goes out to everyone on that because when I look at the – what is expected of modern marketers today? I mean, it is – marketing has really become an Olympic sport. Uh, all the things that we're being asked to do and do well and all the challenges and changes that we're wrestling with. So I, I think anyone who feels that it is hard has a fairly accurate view of reality at this point. Yes, this <laughs> Well, that's going to make the listener hard. feel better. It's for everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, you know, going back to the Voltaire quote, it's not about the perfect marketing. It's about getting good marketing done. Yeah, yeah. Last question about the book. What is a full stack marketer and why should marketers strive to be one? Ah, so this is a, a, a phrase like many in the book, uh, taken from the software world, where people talk about full-stack developers. A full-stack developer can work at many different levels. They can do the database. They can do you know, the, the code for an application. They can design the user interface. And, and this is a bit of a mythical term. There's lots of developers who work at these different levels, but uh, usually everyone has one layer that they're particularly strong at. It's aspirational. It's aspirational, but I guess we're seeing this with marketers too, right? I mean, marketing, it doesn't suffice anymore to be a specialist, to say, oh, well, I'm a great search marketer, so that's really all I need to know mm -hmm. is in or, marketing. Or email. Exactly. I mean, oh, yeah, well, listen, I don't know about all the social media stuff here, but hey, I can write some really good content on the website. I'm a great right. copywriter. Mm -hmm. You know, Marketing, all of these dozens, hundreds of different touch points that we have with customers, we are realizing more than ever that through the customer's eyes, all of these are interconnected. And as marketers, regardless of which particular tasks or activities we're working on, the greater ability we have to see how the dots connect and really make sure whatever we are doing is in the context uh, of the rest of you know marketing's activities uh, is just incredibly helpful for delivering greater continuity to prospects and customers. So yeah, being a full stack marketer is really having an appreciation for all of the different domains in which marketing is operating today. And I also see a number of articles about the dearth of talent, uh, marketing talent out there and how for marketers who can become full-stack marketers, uh, their salaries could double in the next five years. You know, it's, uh, this is the one last place we can look at the software community. Software developers over the past couple decades here that have really figured out 
how to operate in you know the contemporary software environment they're incredibly valuable and they make a lot of money because at the end of the day they they, they bring a lot of leverage to the companies that they work for and i think this is a very exciting time for marketers because marketers who get really good at leveraging these software capabilities have the potential to dramatically increase the value that they can bring to an organization and that does translate into yeah great salaries and great opportunities Mm, yeah it's gonna happen scott if readers took only one thing away from the book what would you hope it would be it would be now that marketing is thoroughly entangled in software that's actually a good thing because we can borrow management ideas from the software world and get really good at running marketing at this new level Hmm, well said what books have inspired your work and career? Oh, so many. I, I have a multiple stacks by my bedside. But, you know, I mean, like we Are certainly – uh, read or to be read? <laughs> Unfortunately, most of them are about half read. <laughs> uh, so I'm terrible that way. But, um, you know, I mean, certainly some of the authors that have been incredibly influential. You know, when I was writing this book, I was thinking back to a lot of the work of Clay Christensen. Uh, another guy, uh, Eric Ries, uh, you know, the author of The Lean Startup, mm-hmm. certainly another one of those sort of seminal books for getting people beyond the software world to think about these agile and lean approaches to business. I'd have to give a nod to this guy, Jeffrey Sutherland, who is one of the inventors of agile software development. And he, he wrote a popular book uh, about a year ago on the art of getting twice as much done in half the time. Oh, yes, uh, yes. <laughs> which is very much based on, uh, yeah, the, the, the use of the agile methodology. So, yeah, it's uh, many great books. Those are yes. just a few. Well, we'll make sure to link those up in the, the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And a couple of those have actually been mentioned on the show before. So we're, it's all coming together. But are, are there, you mentioned all the books by the side of your bed. Are there any recent and or upcoming marketing books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Well, again, this isn't quite a marketing book, but I'm really looking forward to reading it. It's uh, Super Forecasting by Philip Tetlock. So uh, Tetlock was the guy who, uh, I mean, he spent decades uh, researching uh, how people make decisions and the role of experts. Uh, He was one of the guys who, uh, like one of his early studies famously uh, showed that, uh, you know, most talking head experts, uh, you know, were were not able to accurately predict uh, the things that they claim to be experts about. Um, (laughs) But one of the things he's found in his, you know, the basis of his new book is that they're actually are people who have an edge in making predictions in very particular kinds of fields and and certainly applicable to marketing. Uh, And one of the most effective ways to get very good at harnessing that is not to just listen to any one of them, but to start to use technology to be able to uh, sample many of them and to get a, a, a consensus or, you know, at very least statistically an edge of, okay, what does this particular group believe is going to be the outcome? Uh, I mean, you talk about giving marketers the ability to see a little bit of the future. Uh, Super forecasting seems like one of the ways they may be able to do that. Yes, that sounds really fascinating. And we didn't even get into all the the topics you covered that related to um, 
to big data, but 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 now that I've said that, you did talk in the, your book about how it shouldn't be just about big data; it should be about big testing. Oh yes, this is one of my uh, you know uh, personal drums that I keep beating. Sorry to um, circle back to the book. No, but. no, it's great. <laughs> you know, but I mean, here's the thing: everybody raves about big data. Um, yes, and, and, and of- let me let me just interrupt. Uh, Mitch Joel is known for saying that these days you can throw a marketer down a flight of stairs, and the words "big data" will. Uh, will fall out of their pockets <laughs> at least several times over. Uh, I love Mitch. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the great thing about all this data is it's a source of tremendous ideas, right? We can mine this big data and we can find all these fascinating correlations and all these hypotheses about how the dots get connected among our audience. But at the end of the day, the data itself doesn't do anything. It's 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 <laughs> sitting there, right? You know, it's it's something we can mine for insight. But then the onus is really on us as marketers as to how do we activate that. And the thing that amazes me is, you know, going back to that marketing technology landscape, is so many of the tools that marketers have today support easy A-B testing, the ability to try alternate emails, the ability to try, you know, alternate landing pages, alternate ads, and so on and so on. Yet most marketers today still do relatively little A-B testing, do relatively few controlled experiments. And this is a crime because Mm -hmm. there's such an opportunity for us to, given these hypotheses that big data offers us, really turn those into experiments to say, okay, well, let's see this, you know, which one of these hypotheses is actually going to be true. So I say enough with big data, what the world really needs more of is big testing. (laughs) And I have to apologize to the listener, we're going way over time as well as to you, Scott, but there's one part in the book where you talk about the Kanban board, if I'm pronouncing that right, which is a, you're going to have to read the book to, to get this, but you talk about an entire column devoted to testing. And my sense was that when marketers start to adopt this approach, they're going to be forced to test because there's a testing column. There's, there's a whole <laughs> stage where you got, and, and, and just the fact that, oh gosh, well, what are we going to test? Like they were ready to skip over that one part. <laughs> that was just a, that was another light bulb that went off over my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot we can learn from that shift into embracing greater testing, and and some organizations do, right? I mean, you look at uh, you know like Capital One, you know, tremendous success stories uh, with building testing into their culture. Uh, Caesar's Entertainment, same thing. I mean, some of the case studies of companies that have deeply embraced experimentation uh, as part of their marketing culture uh, have gotten tremendous results from it. So it's, it's, it's an opportunity for the rest of us. Absolutely. Final quote. This book is titled Hacking Marketing for Three Reasons. First, the remarkable confluence of software and marketing has opened up an inspiring source of ideas that we can cross-pollinate between these two great professions. Second, the creative spirit of hacking the good kind of hacking, champions a willingness to defy old conventions and reimagine what's possible. And third, hacking favors a strong bias for action. We may not have all the answers to the challenges we face, but if we're undaunted and willing to experiment and learn, we can discover new and innovative ways forward. The name of the book is Hacking Marketing, Agile Practices to Make Marketing Smarter, Faster, and More Innovative. The author is Scott Brinker. Scott, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you so much. 
And that closes the book on episode 63 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for show notes, free resources, and marketing guides. And while there, be sure to join the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. That's marketingbookpodcast.com. Now, I've got a question for you. What did you think of this interview? Let me know. Tweet me up at hashtag marketingbook. I crave feedback even more than praise. Do you have any marketing or sales book recommendations? Just hop on the Twitter and use hashtag marketingbook. It really makes my day when I hear from listeners like you. Seriously. And please join us next time as we talk with Mike Weinberg about his book, New Sales Simplified, the essential handbook for prospecting and new business development. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.